This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One of the big questions is, what is money? For practical purposes, it exists in a series of uh, heterogeneous databases, very different databases. Do you believe in crypto? Digital currency may be an answer. But it is the highly speculative asset. I do own Bitcoin. There is no second past. Welcome to the Crypto Curious Podcast, designed to help you navigate the dynamic world of cryptocurrency. We're here for anyone who is interested in crypto at all. Maybe you've already dipped your toe in the water or maybe you don't know anything about it and this is the very beginning, but we recommend heading back to the early episodes to get your footing. However, if you think you're ready to dive in head first, then let's do it. My name's Tracy, and this episode is a special one. It's not only our final episode of the year, but we also have a special guest host with us who's going to talk us through all the things that happened in 2022 and what a year it was. Joining Blake and myself today is Caroline Bowler, and Caroline is the CEO of BTC Markets, and that's one of the largest crypto exchanges here in Australia, helping Aussies get into the market since 2013. And the long-term listeners of the show will know that BTC Markets was actually my very first crypto exchange back in late 2017. (laughs) And Caroline has been working in the financial services sector since 2004, both in Europe and Asia Pacific, and that's including investment banks, hedge funds, fintech companies, and financial advisors. And this work uh, with blockchain and digital assets companies has been since 2015. And props to Caroline. In June this year, Caroline was rewarded the female fintech leader of the year uh, from fintech australia which is a great honor so well done caroline and welcome to the crypto podcast thanks so much for joining us thank you very much and if i may also blow my horn just a little bit two days ago i was awarded the blockchain leader of the year at the blockchain australia awards so thank you very much and more importantly btc markets was awarded digital currency exchange of the year as well i did not see that that is a huge honor for you and and for B- that's awesome. Well done. Round round of applause. And like I said, yes, you were my very first exchange back in the day. So we feel like as if we're like uh, like the first training bra, I think, for a lot of crypto investors in Australia, where they kind of came with us, and, and we're very happy about that. Like we're we're very pleased that we that we've kind of helped people come through and navigate. Like I think for us we want to be viewed as the safe pair of hands. Like we, we kind of call ourselves the designated driver of Australian crypto because we're sober behind the wheel, but we're kind of going in the same direction as everybody else. We've mm. got the same kind of appetite and thirst for crypto and what it's all about. But to kind of to that earlier point about, you know, working in traditional finance, like I'm used to being directly regulated, I'm used to understanding why you need good governance, why you mm. need to have those risk management safeguards in place. And so we've been the designated driver. We've been really sober behind the wheel. We've been really cautious in what we've done. 
and we've really tried to navigate this space as best as we can in the in the most risk-averse way that we can. Mm. And that's why we really wanted you on the episode today, Caroline, to talk us through the events of the last year uh, and, you know, what went right, what went wrong, and maybe give us some reflections um, of how you saw things unfold. So on my kickoff, so about 12 months ago now, you probably remember uh, the market was going crazy. Uh, Bitcoin was hitting all-time high. There was euphoria. Everyone was talking about it. Everyone was excited. Everyone was optimistic after a very, very long bear market. So, yeah, it'd be just great to hear about, you know, what that time period was like for you and BTC Markets and, you know, what everyone was thinking back then. Yeah, gosh, 12 months ago and, and it was like a lifetime. <laughs> I was talking about this actually only uh, two days ago. The, the stress of a bull market is more stressful, it's, or it's a different type of stress than what we're experiencing now in the bear. And maybe it's also got a little bit to do, for me personally, with being from Ireland. We're used to dealing with recessions of misery. We, we never really handle success so well. as <laughs> Tiger years where we all went bananas. And to a degree, I think we kind of saw that euphoria then in, in crypto, where particularly for those who've been around the space for a long time, to see so much of it come come through for people in terms of all the talk around use cases. We saw, you know, mainstream financial institutions finally looking at this and taking it seriously. We saw countries starting to look at crypto seriously. Yeah. Um, and so they, they kind of fed into to what was happening. And then as you say, the all-time high. But I suppose for, for me, looking at it now, reflecting 12 months later, like it was a roller coaster. And if for an exchange, as an exchange business, it was also a roller coaster. Our team worked so darn hard, man. Oh, my God, they worked so hard because we were onboarding clients at a, at a mighty clip. There was also all of that sense of uh, heightened excitement. And mm. why aren't we listing all these different tokens? Why aren't we doing Dogecoin, for example? Why aren't we doing you know, Shibu mm. and, other, and other coins and tokens, uh, which would have been against or kind of contrary to the risk management profile that we've always had. And it's yeah. a lot to go, like, we're not going to do it. Like, we, we must yeah. do what is the right thing to do and not do it. And we're going to walk away from all that money, <laughs> that potential revenue. But it was it was a wild, wild time. No, I definitely agree. And, you know, that scaling journey in those periods of times is really just holding on to the roller coaster, making sure, mm. <laughs> making sure nothing breaks. And uh, we can certainly uh, also relate to, you know, not listing coins like Dogecoin and Shiba. If, I, if we had a dollar for every time we had an yeah. email asking for those listings, then I think uh, <laughs> it would be a different bear market. So, yeah, yeah I'm fascinating insight. There. Yeah, look, we really had new industries kind of spur on this bull market, like define NFTs. And NFTs in particular was a big one that I must admit that I kind of got swept up into a little bit. But again, it's really cooled off again in the latter part of the year as well. So a bit of a flash in the pan? No, I don't think that's a fair description of them at all. I mean, even today <laughs> as we're recording, I saw that Donald Trump is now bringing out his own bespoke range of NFTs. Oh, <laughs> my golly. Oh, yeah. But I think what the, the point with NFTs I find so captivating is that they they represent culture. And I think for mm. lots of people who don't want to come into crypto for various different reasons or, you know, they don't really care about Bitcoin, it doesn't, doesn't grab their attention. But culture is something that's accessible to everybody, um, no matter yeah. where you are. And so NFTs, I think, are a really, really good gateway into the blockchain economy and what this is all going to be about. 100%. Um, and, and we're only at the tip of it. You know, we're only at the beginning. Mm. Um, there's so much more than, 
you know, Trump Towers NFT cards yeah. or whatever he's got. He's yeah. got up his sleeve. So it's 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 really exciting. And also like the NFT crowd are the they're the most energetic, fun, entertaining mm. and to be honest, some of the most genuine people I've met in the in in the industry here in Australia have been through the NFT and there's some really gorgeous artists out there that we've connected with as well. So I really like them. For sure. Do you collect, yeah. have you got any, Caroline? I've got a few. I particularly got some POAPs. Some oh, okay. We, we did actually an NFT earlier this year with um, Alia Tomljanovic for the Australian Open. And we had that arranged oh. before, before the AO cards came out. We had no idea AO were doing, were doing their own NFTs. So we did one with Alia, which was really fun. And, you know, kind of connected up then with some of our fans and we got to connect in with like giveaways and things like that. And again, it was just us dipping our toe in, Anya dipping her toe in and her team, just giving it a try and see what it was about. And it's really cool. Like, it's really fun. Like, what's not to enjoy? Because it's not crypto, if you like. Mm. And Blake, I'd like to get your thoughts on where this is going next year or where it's been, because you're not massive in the NFT space. (laughs) So what do you think? Yeah, no, it's fascinating to watch, certainly. And I think because there's a low barrier to entry for people to innovate in the space, Mm. um, we see lots of experimentation and lots of weird, wild and wonderful things. And as a result, you know, that comes through the pipeline for us all to observe and to participate with. So, yeah, no, looking forward to seeing next year. And I was at the, I think some of your team was there as well, Caroline, at the NFT Fest um, in Melbourne. And just mirroring your thoughts there, the energy at the conference was incredible to see people so energetic about how they could use the tech. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I, I think that much more to see here. But, um, what, you know, we saw, you know, the unfortunate situation unfold this year with respect to Ukraine and the war. You know, there's some silver lining there where we saw the crypto community rally and, you know, use blockchain um, as a settlement layer for sending their um, donations across and people could send anonymously or or, or otherwise. And it was um, an easy way to track. The whole world had the wallet addresses of the Ukraine Mm. government. And we've just never seen anything like that before. So, yeah, did did you follow that story at all, Caroline? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think that probably was feeding into like so many of the discussions around what's the use case for crypto in our world are centered in a very safe, secure Western style democracy with long established banking relationships and, and an expectation almost like almost a myopic kind of viewpoint that the rest of the world is, is the same. And, and it's not. And when we saw what happened in the Ukraine, I mean, it's it's uh, it was dreadful circumstances and for people then to have an opportunity to send support and show support in a very meaningful and direct way and instantaneous way. I think that was something that, you know, those who want to show solidarity with what was happening, you know, and support that was very meaningful, but also what we saw here, like, so there was this whole big discussion around, oh, you're, you're sending money back and you don't know where it's going to, or you're supporting Russian oligarchs somehow using crypto, um, the fact that we have the ability to track and trace every transaction in perpetuity, mm. you know, we could limit, the industry can limit, um, you know, kind of any money that was, or any crypto that was being sent to to the Russians who were trying to escape or what have you, you know, the, the kind of those who were on the sanctions list. But what we saw anecdotally in BTC markets were people who like had connections to the Ukraine, um, whose family members were now refugees, fleeing the Ukraine, moving into Poland and other countries around Europe, and who had no bank account, no access to cash, because their banking infrastructure was obviously, um, you know, in a different, uh, you know, different capability at that point in time. 
So what they were doing was they were sending crypto. So mm. they went to, so the Ukrainians could go into Poland, as an example, access a Polish crypto exchange and transfer and you know, receive it into receive it into their accounts and cash out in, and uh, get the local currency, no matter where they went. Because I know obviously from, from Ireland, and there was a sizable number of refugees arrived in Ireland, so they could do similar there. So when you talk about from a, from a very safe, secure Western point of view, Western democracy point of view, why would you need to have cryptocurrency? And then you saw it right on Europe's doorstep. That's exactly what you need to have cryptocurrency. I think you make a good point there. You know, if we were sending through you know, traditional means through a charity, for example, it's really ambiguous to know how much of your um, donation is actually getting to, um, you know, the recipient. And, you know, with this method that pe many people used, it was quite clear that, you know, your full transaction landed in the wallet. So I think we're going to see more and more of this, you know, crypto being used for humanitarian purposes um, in the future. So fantastic um, use cases yeah, to, to was see unfold. It was certainly one of the good news stories that, that came out of it, that's for sure. Mm. Yeah, mm. And the fact, too, that then they were... They could also then, anyone could then follow where that crypto went mm. after. So you could see that how it was being used. There was great transparency if you were so, if you wanted to, if you wanted to have that transparency, you could get that transparency alongside what the, the, you know, the Ukrainian government was putting out, what they were saying they were spending on. And they were very transparent. They're like, we're buying weapons. <laughs> as well as humanitarian. Mm. Like, this is the humanitarian donation. And this is the weapon pile. And you choose where you want your money to go. And I think that yeah. they were very kind of clear about it. They weren't fudging the issue given the circumstances that they were operating under. But to your mm -hmm. point as well about humanitarian, like if you look then about natural disasters, right, you've got, if people can, you know, mm -hmm. retain their mobile phone mm -hmm. and you can pass it then through the mobile phone network, if you've got your digital wallet on your phone, the ability mm -hmm. to do it then for money across, but also disperse funds in a much quicker way. You can way. get to where it needs to get to quickly in, and straight up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot to be said for it. I mean, this, and, and, but here's the thing too, right? I don't view this as a binary discussion. I don't think this is one or the other, either or. I think this is one of many solutions, not one size fits all, but it's, it's, it's the um, refusal to contemplate how it can be used. That's the problem. Uh, you know, people who are curious but doing it, no, that's fine. You can work with that. But people who just flat out refuse to consider this as an option, that's a problem for me. Mm. Well, so what else happened during the year? Look, I think we'll move on to the F merge now, which was a huge thing that happened this year. There was countdowns on Google. Everyone spoke about it leading in there. There were F merge parties. I know that we made a big deal about it here on the podcast because, first of all, you had to get your head around exactly what was happening and then you know the merge happened and then we had to understand all the following things that were going to happen over the next five years but the merge itself you know th there was price action that was going to happen you know going into it you know on the day then coming out it was probably a little bit of a nothing burger when it actually took place but nonetheless it was a big story because of, of, of what they were actually doing it was a huge feat that they were undertaking you know then there's, there's f as a deflationary asset did you keep a keen eye on it like we did what were your thoughts around the f merge Caroline? yeah i think that it was the most exciting thing we've seen in our industry for years it was just so thrilling and i was kind of describing it as like an airplane that was changing its engine mid-flight right that you suddenly mm. remove proof of work to proof of stake 
but all of the wide ranging implications that came with it and, and, and the vision that they had. But also like you're, you're talking about engineers who are geographically spread across the world all working on this project. I mean, that in itself is an audacious thing to do. But then to consider the scope of what it was that they're, that they were achieving, oh, it's breathtaking. It, re- it really is exciting. I think it's so, you know, I, I can't imagine depth of knowledge you would need to possess about a subject in order to do something like that. And then, I mean, for me, when my dad came into crypto, he actually came in via Ethereum. He didn't come into Bitcoin at all. He is by trade an engineer, by training, he's an engineer. Oh. He was looking, he was, he was reading it up. His daughter's suddenly in crypto. I need to find out what this crypto thing is about, or one of his daughters. So I have to find out what this is about. And so he, Bitcoin, whatever, but Ethereum, yeah, that really thrilled him. And then when he got so to unravel what was happening with uh, the merge and so on. So that's what my dad, part of what my dad has in his portfolio is Ethereum. But wow. in a way, like, because he, he, I say, we, I'm one of four daughters. And so he tries to take an interest in what all four of us do. And um, one of us is, is in banking. One of us is in early childcare. And one of us is a lawyer. Understanding Ethereum is easier than getting a law degree. I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That is that is very interesting, though, that he ended up picking Ethereum over Bitcoin. But I like well, it. Yeah. Well, many of our customers, Caroline, our, our portfolio, our customers' portfolios are weighted far more heavily towards Ethereum than they are Bitcoin. Wow. Um, so it's it's interesting just to see where people are, you know, investing in the future. That's just what you're saying. That we've just recently kind of done a seminar where we've looked at over the course of what's nearly ten years now. So, well, what have people? What's been the most popular first purchase? Mm. Right. So the most popular first purchase is XRP. Wow. wow. Interesting. That's disappointing. Done to hear that. <laughs> I was really really surprised. The most popular. First purchase is XRP. So people come in. It's, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's like, there's about maybe 2,000 in it, like 2,000 people in it over Bitcoin. Yeah. Okay. That, that's a point in time, a rush into the market. Okay. Interesting. Mm. It kind of says as well to people who are like, oh, you know, I'm just coming here as a Bitcoin bro or a Bitcoin maxi or this is mm. it. Like, you know, people spend more time reading and researching. They're not just wading in. Like, there's this really. Yeah. Quite um, a patronizing view that says people could be bothered to learn about this stuff. They do. Oh, they look, can. I think it's very different now. I think doing your own research is key, and I think people are understanding that now. I think that long, long gone are people just jumping, diving in now. Yeah, and people in people like your father, Caroline, they enjoy learning about the technology. You know, it's not mm. just about you know placing, uh, you know, uh, making a bit of cash. It's also that journey of like you know backing a, a technological change, and and yeah, there's more to it than that. Yeah, maybe I get this sense of excitement around it from my dad. <laughs> yeah. Moving on to the next topic now, you're obviously the talk of, of 2022 has been the liquidity crisis that has been kicked off by Luna. And as a result, the cascade in falling, um, in failing you know, projects and companies starting from 3AC um, down to Voyager, Celsius, BlockFi, and the many other companies that have failed as a result of this. So just starting from where it all began with Luna and 3AC, um, do you have any comments on that or thoughts? I'm sure you do. Oh, <laughs> actually, just before I got on here, I, I had a quick look at the timeline on this. And it was the start of May when Luna fell over, Luna and Terra. Mm. It was like about 10 years ago. It really no. does. My gosh. Yeah. It was actually this year. Can you believe it? We didn't list Luna or Terra 
Um, that was because, like, for me personally, I didn't understand it. And then I was actually talking with our, like, head of development. He's like, he's so into all of this stuff. He knows so much about all of it. And he's like, yeah, I didn't really get the purpose of it either. And I kind of went, okay, thank God I'm not the only one that really didn't grasp what it was what it was about. I just found it too complicated. And went, okay, if I'm finding it too complicated, there may be plenty of others out there as well who, who may struggle with understanding it. And just, it was a bit of a, um, the emperor has no clothes. But that's that's the smug view of somebody sitting here in December. And I think that, that what we saw on the back of that was about the need for proper risk management. The reason I say that is because I sat in investment banking during the GFC and watched it all unfurl, the, the highly risky lending that happened, the, the creation of these derivative products that nobody could bloody understand, that were pushed into portfolios all over the world, where people didn't know what they had exposure to with the subprime market. There were canaries in the coal mine that were calling it out for years before it happened in 2006, 2007. We were reading reports exactly about what was going to happen. And, and there were canaries in the coal mine then that weren't listened to. And so then so I take all of that really, to, it, it travels with me. It's never left me that professional experience. And I talk about it before, about sitting on a trading floor in Asia, looking at the contagion that was coming, ringing my parents who were asleep in Ireland going, get your money out of the banks. Wow. going to get very real and very hairy very quickly. I've never forgotten that moment. Even now I get breathless thinking about it. So you felt that way with Luna in May? I I feel that way every day about what we do in in B2C markets. Every day I look at it and go, what I, I, I think about my parents, I think about that phone call and I go, we've got risk management in place. Like we've always got risk management in place. Yep. But when I talk about the culture of being the, as, as managing that risk as best as we can, if I couldn't understand this product, there was no way that we were going to list it. Because if I can't back it and get my head around it, it was more scary than my dad losing money is my mother finding out that my dad lost money through BTC markets. <laughs> the fear of my mum and then having to face into that is more than anything else that I can right. say. And I know yeah. that sounds quite stupid, but coming into crypto, hey, there's risk, right? There's risk for everybody. And, and everybody knows that no matter what kind of um, investments you get into, there's always risk. There's upside and downside. You've got to get knowledgeable about that stuff. You talk about it, you know, exactly what you're doing with this podcast and the work that you guys do. You've got to get educated about it, but you can also put in some risk mitigation strategies. And so I want people to be able to invest in through B2C markets in this economy, but with as much risk mitigation baked around it as possible. And so Mm. with Terra Luna, I didn't understand it. The guys in my business didn't understand it. So we were like, we're just going to pass on it and carry on with other projects that we could and do understand. Like we really, like even before the crash, we really didn't talk about it very much because we just were like, oh, look, we can't get our heads around it. So, hey, we're just going to move on. And like that would be if even the degree of the conversation that was happening, there was no conversation around it. So then when we started to see all of that unravel and then you saw the degree of contagion, 3AC, that house of cards falling over. Then it was bringing, that brought down uh, Block 5. Who else? The Wager, Celsius. Celsius falling over. And all of these businesses that have been awesome. Yeah. And then you find out that the risk management behind it didn't exist. And it was like, Mm. doosh, 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 doosh. Mm. That we talk about wasn't there. And I can understand why not, because like that, those, those two years of the bull, hey, people were like, 
I want returns. Like, and we're all feeding into it. And so it creates then that environment where, where risk, and I saw it, in, I saw it in the GFC. And so that's why we didn't do it in the bull. And we lost money out of it because well, we didn't think the opportunity cost, but now sitting here in the mm. bear market after what the hell we've gone through, I, I sleep easy at night. So, so Carolyn, do you think these business models are going to reemerge once regulation comes in or transitions in, uh, you know, are we going to see your Celsius 2.0 branded differently? I think that the fundamentals behind crypto lending are solid. There's nothing wrong with crypto. It's not, the issue is not Bitcoin. The issue is not blockchain technology. The issue is mm. not Ethereum. The issue is around risk management and human behaviours. And that's something that you can, you can put appropriate regulation around. Coming in after the coming in after the technology, though, no, I don't agree with that. Coming in after product, I don't agree with that. But putting in place, particularly something like lending, you know, just some proper risk mitigation, and and away you go. Yeah, I, I don't see a problem with yeah. that. And so, yeah, I do think they will come back. I think they'll come back stronger. Yeah. I think what you've touched on there, you know, really leads well into what happened with FTX because that really was what seeming to be human behaviour at its at its worst with what's happened with Sam and, and Caroline and perhaps no risk mitigation and some really terrible human behaviour with customer funds. It's breathtaking. And, and yeah. on a personal level, it's it's disgusting. When the GFC happened and Bitcoin came on the back of that, right? Like, so Bitcoin came out and said, we're going to decentralize it, say that human behavior doesn't impact us in this way anymore. And then to see that happen again, it just, in like, it was so contrary to the whole point of what this whole industry is supposed to be about. So I look at those investors that lost their money, who went in, who probably had done all the right research, you know, they probably had found and had kind of the network effect of, well, FTX is so well regarded and their technology is so good. You know, all these people, all these other people are in there. They must be the real deal. And then I think of my yeah. dad and that back in, you know, the early 2000s, mid 2000s and going, get your money out of the bank. And I think of that as well. And, and you know, there's what, 30,000 Aussies that were caught up in that. And you're just hoping, yeah. I mean, I the lawyers, I mean, to be fair, to, I just want to make this point too. So the FTX Australia team, as far as I know, had nothing to do mm. with what happened with, mm. with Bankman Free and all of that. They had nothing to do with it. And I know that there was some kind of commentary in the media around their role and what they did and didn't do. They had nothing to do, as far as I can see, nothing to do with what happened. Yeah, I was reading an article. I was looking at a spreadsheet the other day of all the investments that FTX had made. You might have seen it as well, Caroline hundreds of investments into you know, different funds and, and projects worth you know, 5 billion US dollars. And, you know, if there are billions of dollars vaporized through poor bad actors, you know, like Sam and, and his management team, you know, hopefully there's an opportunity for, you know, those investments, um, those currently illiquid investments to become liquid over time to then, you know, at least partially or hopefully in full payback creditors in that in that horrible situation so i think um you know the story's not over and yeah there'll be more more to see on that from a regulatory point of view you know it'll be really interesting to hear your insights of how you think you know governments particularly maybe the u.s government you know is going to respond to this situation just because you know they're obviously feel now as though that they need to come in and protect consumers. Yes. And you talk about the US, um, by you know, sitting here in Melbourne, I think I want to take this story to, to keep it local. 
because the industry in Australia has been jumping up and down for the last couple of years saying we need some appropriate regulation in of our sector. And we know that the previous government had put together, um, you know, prior to the, the last election, they had said that they were going to make regulation of our space a priority. And we have a change of government. There, there was the Senate committee report that was put together um, with recommendations, one of which was around token mapping. And I know that the government, the, the current government have taken that up and they've been doing token mapping exercise through Treasury. We know then in the back of what's happened with FTX that they said, okay, we're going to really like accelerate the timeline around looking at what I do as a decentralized exchange, or um, as a digital currency exchange, rather. Regulation is coming in for Australia. The issue for us as an industry is going to be around ensuring that it is appropriate and proportional to the risks of the industry, mm. as opposed to trying to come in and trying to go one size fits all to the entire blockchain economy. The Europeans have spent, their uh, legislative bodies have spent years researching, working, drafting, collating, pulling together a pretty comprehensive uh, piece of legislation called the Markets in Crypto Assets, I think is what it's called, MICAs for abbreviation. That passed this year. It's coming into force in 2024. They managed to get the 26 countries across the European Union all to agree to one piece, which to wow. me is always remarkable when you're sitting looking at a trying to function and you look at what, the, what these guys have managed to do. What they managed to do, though, was they, and there was a key line in their, in their approach was that they are trying to um, regulate innovation in, not innovation out. So now you can then have a thriving blockchain economy. And I mean, by blockchain, I mean crypto. DeFi, NFTs, and goodness knows what's coming next. All of that can have a be regulated in Europe. But to the point that where they've gone, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to do some risk mitigation. They've said, we don't oh. know what we don't oh. know in this space. We're all going to kind of go through this together. We're going to leave room for it. We're not going to say prescriptively now in, you know, when they wrote the regulation in 2020, that we know what's going to happen in 25, 26, and so on, because it's moving so quickly. But we are going to put in uh, responsibilities for exchanges, uh, centralized exchanges, where I have got a burden of proof requirement around, like doing like a PDS almost for whatever I list. I've got to have requirements and safeguards for, for clients um, on different kind of aspects around um, trading in crypto. Caroline, so if the Europeans can do it, can we do it as well? Can we bring in, you know, a, a mature piece of legislation um, or a, a framework that can help us do our jobs better and protect consumers here in Australia? Yes, yes, we can. <laughs> so, and, and that's the great thing about it, right? Like what, what they've managed to do is such a, it, you can just lift it up and put it into your own jurisdiction because there's so much that's similar between um, the Aussies and the Europeans in terms of law. Like you can totally do it and use it as a really good template because it's a great international standard. It means we don't have to wait around, but we can add an Aussie flavor to it, of course, a reflection of the Aussie environment. But like what they've done is if you can work for the 26 Europeans, and it punches it can totally work for here in Australia. Um, yeah. But in the meantime, like the, the business of the day is going to be for us as an industry working really closely and collaborating really closely with Treasury and they're helping people in, in who are making those decisions understand. But also, hey, here's the thing too, like for anyone who's listening, um, contact your, your representatives, talk to the mm, people yes, yes. at state and federal level, let them mm. know and you know, this perception that all of crypto is just 
guys in hoodies kind of in dark and green. Yes. Yeah, in their mother's basement. It's not true. It's fundamentally not Like, we would get guys, particularly during the well, boys and girls, men and women, who would contact us during the bull run, cashing out and said, I've been in crypto since 2018. I've been in crypto for however many years through BTC markets. And I now have enough money to buy my house. I now yep. have enough for a deposit for a home. People Absolutely. aren't doing this because they're yes. going, I want to buy a boat or I want to, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yep. They're doing it for the same fundamental reasons that yep, people to get want. ahead. Yeah. Exactly. And there's nothing mm. more Aussie, there's nothing more Aussie dream than owning your own home. And how, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Using crypto, you know, and um, yeah. we want to support that. And, and that's why we're all here, Caroline, to give people the tools and the education that they need the to, be able to be successful to navigate this sector. So, yeah. mm. um, and so maybe just to finish off today, you know, what does 2023 look like? Um, we might go around the table here and get everyone's <laughs> reflections. Uh, it's you know, hopefully only up from here. What do I think 23 is going to be like? I think for me, my, uh, I predict I'm going to be spending a lot of time talking about regulation. Yeah, mm. look, we have been saying that probably for the last, six to eight weeks, haven't we, Blake, on the podcast, that we do think that the narrative for 2023 will be taken up largely by regulation talk. You know, I personally think, too, that the NFT space will have a solid resurgence, but I think it will look a little bit different. I think there will be some kind of new, interesting way that they uh, push forward. I'm not sure what that will look like. So um, we'll see. What about you, Blake? Yeah, well, you know, crypto has generally followed uh, innovation cycles, uh, you know, which spur these bull runs. And we start to see the early, um, you know, some of these technological innovations poke their heads up in bear markets. So I cannot wait to see what the innovators, what the developers have been building um, through this bear market and that are going to start coming to market. So uh, yeah, it's going to be exciting 2023 from my perspective. <laughs> One thing you can always be sure, though, in crypto is that it's not dull. No, absolutely. Amen. Amen to that. Uh, we have plenty to talk about every week, Caroline, that's for sure. Yeah, well, well, look, we'll have to get you on this time next year and see what yeah. has happened. Thank you so much for coming along and spending this. And look, this is our last episode for the year. And I personally have, I'm so glad that we've spent it with you, Caroline. And look, shout out to Craig, our third wheel, who's not here today. But like I said, it's lovely that you are with us. And that is our last episode, folks, for 2022. We're taking a little break and we'll be back with you um, probably for the first week of February. So no doubt by that point, you know how things work in crypto, that is going to be a lifetime away and there'll be a lot to catch up with on that point. So God knows. So again, um, thanks, Caroline. Thank you very much for having me. It's been absolutely brilliant fun. Oh, excellent. Awesome. And that is us signing out. Blake, you want to say goodbye to everyone for the thanks, year? Thanks, everyone. Bye for now. Have a good yeah, summer. Thanks. It's, thanks. Have a great summer. It's been great speaking to you. And bye for now. Crypto Curious is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Crypto Curious are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Mates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act of 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. 
do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In a spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Crypto Curious acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 